0: Welcome to the show. My guest today is legendary Tony Harnell, and he is, of course, is most known for being the singer of TNT. Uh, But as you'll find out today, he's had a lot of other projects, including one with Bumblefoot from Guns N' Roses fame. So it was really fun to go over his whole career from when he started singing and playing in bands to his global success around the world with TNT to doing music for video games and his singing chorus that he started now. Lots of good stuff with Tony. Enjoy. Welcome, Tony Harnell, to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How the hell are
1: you? I'm good, Chuck. How are you?
0: I'm great. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in Arizona. Where Now, where are you again? I forgot. You're like overseas?
1: I'm in Nashville at the moment. Oh, you're in Nashville. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's that's where I am right now.
0: Were you in and Europe uh, or something? or what? I thought you said the time's different. There's a time change. Was it just the Nashville two hours? It's a two-hour difference? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Hmm. I was in England uh, last year for for a few months and, uh, you know, kind of moving around during COVID.
0: (laughs) Okay. So yeah, so I I found out a lot about your history. I thought this was really fascinating that you started out uh, doing surfing and skateboarding. In fact, and your dad was a sports photographer. So he actually got your pick in some skateboarding magazines. So before you had your picture in the rock magazines, you were in skateboarding magazines. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, I actually was, uh, I turned pro, um, ah. skate, uh, I was a pro skateboarder for about like a year, you know, I competed for just a little bit. I didn't like competing, so I stopped competing, but so at 15 years old, I was kind of, um, I did one competition and then I started to, uh, just kind of hang out at the local skate parks and help the younger kids out, you mm-hmm. know, And that kind of thing. It was, it was great fun. I knew a lot of the top skaters at the time. And my dad was, um, you know, he, he, he took to it because of me. Mm. And then he just like took off and and became one of the more prominent skate photographers in the seventies. So it's pretty cool.
0: Can you still skateboard or do you try, or do you just not even mess with that now?
1: I can. Um, I haven't tried to skate vertical
0: Mm. um,
1: in many, many years, but I'm intrigued because I do have some friends that are around my age and older who are still skating pools. So, um, it's tempting. Yeah. (laughs) You know, surfing is something I I just haven't been living. I haven't lived near uh, a great beach in a long time. So that's something I definitely want to get back into at some point.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, but then it was around this time you kind of got out of the skating and stuff. And then that's when you started getting into rock music and Judas priest and all that good stuff. So I thought this story was really interesting. You were, you're driving around and you're singing in your car in a story in New York. And I'll let you tell the rest of the story, but this is a really great story of how uh, you joined a band. Was this your first band? I think, right?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I I've been singing since I was five years old and Mm -hmm. it's music and music and singing were just always a part of my life. My mother was an opera singer. Um, My aunt sang really well. They actually had a little uh, duo together that had a single out on RCA, I believe. Um, in the 50s so uh my mom wrote songs you know my grandmother sang so i just kind of thought well singing's no big deal okay so great so i can sing um you know who cares um it's not that big a thing so i went through life you know doing my thing and and as a kid and singing and being really into music i didn't realize till i got older how how interesting it was that such a young kid would be so into music. I mean, I would sit for hours at five, six, seven years old and listen to records and sing along and learn them and study them and know who the producer was, you know, but, uh, so fast forward and, uh, my surfing skateboarding days, and I was getting actually more serious about surfing and wanted to be a pro surfer. And, um, I had uh, I had finished high school early and my grandparents, uh, my mom had already moved to New York to pursue her opera career there. And I stayed back in California and uh, with my grandparents and they sort of gave me an ultimatum and said, look, you're not going to be a surfer. So <laughs> uh, you can stay here and go to college or you can move to New York with your mom. And for some bizarre reason that I still can't understand, I chose New York. Um, <laughs> I hate I hated the idea of New York, you know, uh being a California kid that loved the beach and so forth. So it made no sense. But I got there and um you know, my dad drove my car out with my surfboard in it, which was really funny, and my skateboard and I was just this weird California kid, a uh, fish out of water skateboarding through the streets of Astoria and I had my car. And uh so, you know, 16, 17 years old driving around the streets of uh, and screaming uh you know not screaming always but singing uh loudly to the rocks rock bands that I loved and I had eight track an eight track tape player in my car and that's how that's what I was doing in California. I was driving to and from work. I had a little job 16 years old and, and to and from the beach and I'd just be singing to all these records that I loved. And um and so I continued doing that in New York. And, and it was kind of interesting because You know, I lived in an open area in California, you know, you're driving on the hot freeway and, and then all of a sudden I'm in this neighborhood with buildings and like all this stuff. And uh, so I guess my voice was echoing off the the walls, you know, the, the, the buildings. And I come to a stop sign one day and these two long haired hoodlums, I call them hoodlums, but they just, they looked like, you know, black leather uh, long black hair, you know, and they're like, stop, stop. But I'm like, ah, you know, (laughs) I'm rolling my window up and trying to lock the door. And they're like, no, no, no. Um, have you, are you the guy that's been singing through the neighborhood? And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't know anybody heard me. Um, so yeah, I said, yeah, I guess that's me. We have a band. Will you come Friday and rehearse, uh, you know, to our, come to our rehearsal place. So I said, okay. And I'd never been, I'd never really been in a rehearsal room. I'd never sung with a band. I'd never sung on a microphone like that, you know? So uh, there I was on Friday and it was however long that was a couple hours of singing some Zeppelin and some, whatever they knew. And, and uh, you know, that was it. The smells, the sounds, the, you know, um, Just the whole energy of it was just wow, I'm, and I had just started college. I got a scholarship uh, at a university in New York and um, I was in my first semester and that interaction blew my whole college (laughs) career to, to you know, burned it to flames because by the end of that first semester i had left that band joined another band and was well on my way and i just said to my parents you know what i, I don't want i was uh, i had a scholarship in photography and i just said to them i don't want to do that i want to sing
0: yeah and, so th- and they said okay <laughs> yeah that's great so then this is interesting you played in like 10 bands and you recorded demos you did all these gigs and he had an interesting strategy. It was like one, you said, once that uh, you joined a band and it was, if it was a good band and they were, they, they were playing the clubs that you wanted to be seen in, like you just, you kept upgrading, like you kept going to like, you're like, yeah. okay, I think I want to play in that band. Cause they're playing in the bigger clubs and you you didn't really stay yeah. loyal to any band, which I think is, is kind of smart. I mean, this isn't like these are your childhood friends or something. This is just a band that you're joining and you just kept, I mean, I think that's kind of what you have to do in this business. Right.
1: I mean let's face it um you know I've been in plenty plenty of situations in my in my professional career where people have have not been loyal to me so mm-hmm. um look I mean it's a business first and foremost mm-hmm. I I all I wanted I wasn't thinking in terms of you know oh man I'm you know I'm hurting people along the way I was just thinking you know uh, as I was getting better um I wanted better musicians around me, so whenever mm. those offers came, and I, you know, listened to them and said, "Wow, those guys sound definitely better than what I'm doing now." I'm in, you know. Um, and there was one band because um, he said, you know, if they were playing the clubs, there was one band in particular that was a downgrade <laughs> um, from the band I'd been in previously. Mm. But I purposely got on board because they played the, the best clubs and right. they had a great man. They had a great manager. And I thought, you know, this will be good. And it it was a great strategy because it was that band that led to a really good band that was um, right along the lines of what I wanted to do, you know, musically. And we started to get pretty serious. We had some label interest, but it was that band um, that took me from the band I said that wasn't very good um, that led to TNT. So actually that decision to go with that not so great band that played the great clubs mm-hmm. ended up being two bands later ended up being okay TNT. it was a good decision
0: so. which one was the jackals because that one you were playing that's like the one okay yeah that's, thousand, that's the thousand i left okay to go to TNT. thousand yeah. person clubs it was a kind of a more of a metal cover band but uh john yeah. tempesto was in that band mm-hmm. who would later go on to exodus and testament and play with rob zombie and the cult and yeah so that's yeah. pretty cool and you were friends yeah, with um, with I'm Anthrax sorry. at this time too, and Metallica.
1: Yeah, we, well, we were based. That band, the Jackals, was based um, based up in in the Bronx. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we were buddies with um, with the Anthrax guys. Um, and this other, there was another band up there called Black Lace that some people might remember. They had one record huh. out, uh, and we all played this one club up there that would just on Friday and Saturday nights would just get packed with a thousand people just wanting to hear metal and um you know then we started branching out we opened for overkill in new jersey one night we and the night that the tnt thing happened was we were playing a metal night at at studio 54 they started having wednesday night metal uh in manhattan and we played there and after the show backstage uh, Mike Varney, who you might know who he is. Um, he came backstage. I didn't know who he was at the time. He came backstage with another guy who was managing TNT at the time. He was American from long Island and they handed me a tape and they said, um, here's a, we're, we're representing a band from Norway. Uh, Mike flew out from San Francisco just to do this, by the way. So
0: hmm.
1: me being in the jackals, somehow there was this word of mouth, you hmm. know, this, this buzz thing. I had no idea. So, They came back and gave me the tape and and it was nights of the new thunder no vocals on one side of the tape and the the singer that they fired who started the band uh his vocals were on the other side and they said take this listen to it uh the band the guitar player heard you um and and i still don't know how that somehow a demo of mine made it over there um wow and he wants he wants you in the band um, it's not an audition it's it's an offer to be in the band and Dang. if you're if you like if you like the music we'd like you to you can rewrite the stuff to fit your voice um but we need you over there like within a couple of weeks I didn't have a passport so I went home and I shared an apartment with the bass player and jackals right and and he he saw the interaction and I was kind of like you know we went back it was like two in the morning after the gig and we're sitting in the in the apartment you know and I'm kind of like, I know the tape is in my pocket. I haven't listened to it. And I'm kind of, you know, trying to be cool. And he said, so you're going to listen to it. (laughs) So I'm like, well, it's a little awkward. He's like, put it on. So I put it on and the opening riff of seven seas comes barreling out of the speakers. And, and I'm just trying to play it cool in my head. I'm going, Oh my God, this sounds, this is exactly what I want to do, but I shouldn't react too much, you know? And I was quiet and then stopped playing the thing and, and he says, uh, well, you're going to go, right? And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> he's thinking this is going to be good for the jackals. Like, you were thinking maybe yes. you'll just go over there, record it, and they'll put it out in Norway, and then you'll fly home, right. and then that will be good publicity for you guys. That
1: that was the plan. So they had a record deal with, um, with uh, what was at the time Polygram Records. Mm. Um, now it's Universal. Uh, and... So they had that deal in Norway and I thought, great, I'll get to make my first album with a producer in a nice studio. It'll be the best demo I ever had. And I'll come back and re, you know, get back together with my guys. And if that doesn't work out, I made a record now. Yeah. Now, I mean, the world is open, you know? Um, so anyway, I went and made the record and um, little by little, uh came back to the states um and and it just uh, you know they we finished mixing and it kind of then it was going to come out so it came out in in uh, norway and it it went shot up the charts and then uh, all of a sudden other countries started releasing it they changed mm. the cover um and it just kind of spread across europe and then we went and did a tour at the end of uh 84 in uh, norway and that was crazy successful, uh, successful. And then um, and then sometime at the end of 84, beginning of 85, we got this crazy phone call from the New York office of uh, Mercury Records Polygram uh, from the VP there that wanted to meet with the band and offer us a three album worldwide deal. So uh, we took that, obviously. Um, he picked up Knight's re-released it because it hadn't, well, not re-released, but released it in America with a new cover. Mm. We, added, we added a song. We, we changed a few things in the studio to make it more American. And hmm. uh, and that came out in 85 in the U.S., so it had already been out for a while in uh, Norway, in Europe.
0: Yeah, and that's a great yeah. album. The, so it's got the seven seas. That was a good song. And then, you know, the song that I really like, though, is uh, Last Summer's Evil. It's such a good yeah. song. It's so catchy. I love the title. It's it's yeah. a very original idea. Like, you know, there's a lot of songs like love this and love that. This is a very like you just that song title like jumps out at you and then it's so catchy. What are those lyrics about, though? You know,
1: here's the thing. So when I got over there, I had I, I, I kind of was faced with. All right. Well, some of these melodies on the choruses are pretty catchy and they're, mm-hmm. they're pretty good. Uh, Not crazy about some of the titles and the lyrics were kind of, kind of, you know, because they were written by the original singer, who's Norwegian. Sure. And some of his English lyrics weren't, you know, weren't didn't make sense. But I wasn't a great lyricist yet um, by any means. And uh, some people would say I'm still not. But but I I think I, I think I evolved quite a bit since then. But but, you know, so. I cringe when I hear that record. I cringe at the lyrics. I cringe at every word, you know, but uh, what is it about? It's silly. It's, you know, I was, uh, we were kids and, you know, oftentimes you hear bands and you, and you get sort of direction from labels and you think, you know, you get this idea in your head that, you know, uh, I was a big fan of the Scorpions and they always mm. had tongue in cheek, sec- sexual innuendos, you know, and you think, Oh, that's a cool thing to do. Let's You know, let's be a bunch of horny guys writing about, you know, and in retrospect, I think it, a lot of that, even though people love the energy of the music and that part I love too, but I think the lyrical content is a bit, um, immature, childish, you know, whatever, um, and uh and maybe cheapens the elegance of some of the music so i kind of wish that uh, oftentimes that i had been in a different frame of mind you know when i was when i was working on that stuff but you know what it was i always say to people music like a photograph like like you know a haircut <laughs> or, or clothes that you wore it's a moment in time mm-hmm. and then it's you know it's preserved and that was you then and what you did and then you go forward and,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah. So the next album, the third album, uh, released 34 years ago today, Tell No Tales, 1987. Yeah. 10,000 yeah. Lovers in One, Everyone's a Star. How big was this album? Is I thought I heard you say it was number one in Norway. It was, it was bigger than Michael Jackson some weeks. And it was also huge in Japan.
1: Yeah, we were trading... Um, number one positions for for weeks with michael jackson's i think it was the bad album and i think we kept going like this um yeah it was a big album it was uh at one point someone told me one in four households in norway had the album which is pretty funny wow um and and we won a we won a norwegian grammy uh rock album of the year for that album um and and also there was a point in time where 10,000 Lovers and the record were both sitting at number one for for a period of time over there. Mm -hmm. So that was the first initial success. And then it came out in America and it did did really well, um, considering, and I say considering because we had some things against us maybe. Um, We did have great management, um, okay. Well, let me rephrase that. We had okay management. And uh, the label seemed to be pretty behind us. We did some, we did the Striper tour, which was really big um, arenas across the country. And then we jumped on the Twisted Sister Great White tour. That was fun. And we did, we did our own sold out club shows here and there. Um, But before the album really had a, in my opinion, had a chance to, you know, take hold because we were kind of going upward Uh, they kind of, uh, they did this to us a couple of times. They, they put us back in the studio to Mm -hmm. make another album and, um, but no, it did great in the States. It it definitely put us on the map MTV played our videos a lot. And, uh, you know, the, the European thing it, we, we were, you know, definitely on our way. Um, Mm -hmm. we were actually also booked on a, on a Motley Crue tour, um, a little bit before that album came out, uh, with, um in Europe, but for some reason it was decided again, that we needed to be in the studio. <laughs> so,
0: really? That was, that you. would have been interesting. Yeah. Although maybe you wouldn't have survived a tour with Motley crew. That sounds like it's pretty dangerous from what I've heard. <laughs> so well,
1: I had, um, I had forged a bit of a friendship with Tommy, um, Oh really? In, in 85. And, uh, we spent some time in New York city hanging out together and, uh, um, you know, and kind of, you know, would, uh, check in with each other when he was out on the theater pain tour. Mm. And then we just, we, we eventually, uh, lost touch. But, okay. But just as people do. Yeah, you know,
0: sure. Um, but, but so, uh, yeah,
1: but I think it would have been fun. Oh been
0: yeah. Fun. It would have been a blast. I'm sure. Um, uh, but then that next album intuition 88, did you say that, that you think that one Nine, sold 89. more or, oh, it was 89. Okay. That yeah. you think that one sold more in the U S than the, uh, I, um, uh in, well, in the us i think they were almost
1: they were very much close to being about the same okay but I, uh the reason i think it sold more worldwide is because we had so much success with it in japan
0: oh um, okay it,
1: it was it was very very successful there it was mm. uh from what i again we we had there was a michael jackson thing in there too <laughs> with the japanese um with the japanese charts it was um Dancing around with Michael Jackson someplace um, at the top of the charts. Yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, so it was like this kind of thing of like you know explosion in Norway with Tell No Tales, and then you know uh, doing well in the states and and the Intuition tour. Uh, we had lined our own club and theater tour in the U.S. and that was sold out. Did great. Um, and then this Japan thing was insane. I mean, we got this call. You guys are you know top 10 in Japan on the pop charts and, and we're booking a tour and the tour sold out in 30 minutes. And it was like 75 to 7,500 to 10,000 10, seaters, you know, Wow! Um, and we got there and it was like, you know, it was like a movie. It was like everything, you know, kids at the airport and following us everywhere. And, um, and so it, it's really funny looking back because I think we felt very, very sort of I don't know, like deer in the head, you know, deer in the headlights, um, about the whole thing. And I think there was a bit, because we were so young, I think there was a bit, a lack of gratitude that went Mm. along with it because we didn't crack the States open, you know, wide yet. And we were so Mm. hungry. We are like, this is great. This is a lot of fun. Um, but (laughs) you know,
0: yeah, well, and especially you as an American, you want to crack the States. Um so then that yeah. next record, uh Realized Fantasies, they brought in another lyricist and and you said you kind of cringe at some of the lyrics that that you wrote, not necessarily that he wrote, but the, the other lyricist was Dell James, the Guns N' Roses legend. So I mean, tell well, me what it was wrote... like... Yeah. Tell me what well, it was like working with him cuz I am a big fan of well, Guns N' Roses. So anything related yeah, to Guns N' no, with- Roses is amazing to me. Yeah. He's a
1: great, he's a great guy. We still, we still, uh, you know, we still say hi to each other on, on, on Facebook. And uh, I run into him a few times. Um, my buddy Bumblefoot, you know, was in Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was in Vegas when they did a residency with, with uh, Bumblefoot and, and ran into Dell cause he works for Axel. And, yeah. He's the he's manager,
0: right? Up. The touring manager for Guns N' Roses? Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's like, he's like kind of um, the tour manager and Axel's, Everything guy, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, um, and and we caught up and reminisced about that. Um, no, I mean, they they wanted to, I think I was all for it too. I wanted just kind of to get a different perspective. And he he wrote with me, you know, to be clear, we sat and wrote the lyrics together. And he, you know, we sort of it was like, you know, it wasn't exactly line by line that like I threw a line out, he but it kind of was a little of that. It was like, you know, he had an idea or I had an idea, and then it was a line and this, um. The most successful song of that, of that writing session was definitely, um, uh, Lionheart.
0: Yeah. Which I think
1: was, was a really nice song. It had really cool lyrics that I, I would have never come up with a lot of those lines that were in there, but together we really, once he would throw something, I'd go, Ooh, you know, and then it would entice me to go. So it was good. I think it was very good for my, for my lyric writing in many ways, but there was this thing again of you guys cause intuition was a very spiritual album. I was reading a lot of Eastern philosophy. I was very into Buddhism. Uh, my grandmother was sending me, she was into that too and sending me all this stuff and it was very helpful and very good for me. Meditation. I was into all this, but it was coming through on the intuition album and they wanted something that was, I guess, a little more accessible to the kids. And, um, See, they loved that in Japan because it was, you know, they liked that kind of stuff. So I, I thought, oh, I guess we have to be sexy, you know. And again, I, t- I go back to what I said about the Nights album. And I just, uh, I, it's just not me. I felt uncomfortable and I listened to some of those songs. And and they aren't the ones that Dell worked on with me. They were, They were the ones where the label was like, we need more. And, you know, because he and I just kind of worked for, I don't know, a week or two on a few songs just to fill in the kind of you know the thing and then and then i was on back on my own you know to complete the thing and some of it's good and some of it's silly yeah
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) no i know what you're saying very
1: very hard record to record
0: yeah it's like the record label wants something but it's just not you it'd be like if i'm trying to be howard stern i love howard stern by the way i love everything i think it's hilarious but i'm not howard stern i can't be howard Stern. so me trying to be howard stern would be really awkward and i think it would probably not feel right so i see what you're saying Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, it was it was a weird um, it was weird. So, um, and and it was a hard record to do. We had a producer who was not a rock producer. Um, so he really kind of, and he wasn't really there much. He was kind of like you know on the phone, and then he'd like walk in and go great, <laughs> and then he was gone again. You know. Um, huh. But it took a while to do. It frustrated um, the guys in the band because it was the only record that we ever did start to finish in the U.S. Mm. But. At one point, the tape machines, because we were still recording on on tape, we had two tape machines, as you did back then, uh, with a lot of tracks and usually a slave and a master. And um, he was recording some guitars for weeks, and he kept he kept tuning and tuning and tuning, and he kept saying to the engineer, "Something isn't right. I don't know what it is, but something is 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 not right." And they'd be like, no, you're fine, you're fine. And finally, one day he put his guitar down and he stormed into the control room and he said, I want those tape machines checked. Well, they checked them and sure enough, one of the tape machines was like, if if you look at them being tuned, so the speed of them the speed of one machine to the other they weren't synced uh-huh. so if if one was if one was spinning at you know and the music was recorded at a440 the other one was like slightly sharp of that or or flat of that right so so he was trying to record overdubs to the master and it wasn't working so Thankfully, it was, from what I recall, it was the slave that, a machine that was off. So the, so the drums and the bass and all that were fine. But he, he got so frustrated, he said, I'm done. <laughs> and he, he took the engineer that we had in New York, went back to Norway, and he did all the guitars there. And so I sat in New York waiting for that. And then finish the vocals once the guitars came back.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, and so that album yeah. didn't live up to expectations, partly probably because the music well, scene was changing, right?
1: It I think, and I don't know the exact day it was released, but from what I recall, it was very, very close to when the when the Nirvana record hit.
0: Uh, and <laughs> oh great. And I yeah. I think And you like I Nirvana, think, right? You thought it was amazing. Well,
1: you know, I'm I'm not one of those <laughs> You know, I'm not one of those people that the grunge killed 80s rock. Mm-hmm. Man, um, I think 80s rock killed 80s rock. And I say it all the time. Sure. And, and I'm sure I'm sure that Blabbermouth will pick that headline up. <laughs> um, but and I say that not not to not to diss the, the bands or the musicians. They were still great bands, great musicians, etc. But I think the labels, you know, in the 70s, it was if you think about your favorite hard rock bands, hard rock or metal bands in the seventies, you start to you start to look at all of them and you think, okay, there was Zeppelin, there was Aerosmith, there was, you know, Ted Nugent, there was Kiss, there Black was Black Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah, they're all so there different. Black Sabbath Queen, you know, uh, and so on. They were all very, very different sounding bands. Right. And then all of a sudden in the eighties, these A and R guys were like, well, let's sign another Def Leppard and let's get another Bon Jovi and, and, and another poison. And, and, you know, they were big, so let's get some pretty guys that put makeup on them. And by the time, you know, you got to like 1989, 1990, 91, it just was this, there was this late surge around 1990, 91, 92, there was a late surge of all these signings. And honestly, I would open up metal edge magazine and I, I, I would be, and we'd be in it and I couldn't find, <laughs> I couldn't find us because everybody looked the same and we all had the same clothing designer too and yeah. the same haircut. So, so did the,
0: looking- yeah. So was the record label and the management kind of pushing you to, to dress and look a certain way or was that your own choice?
1: Well, by the time that era came along, I think everybody was, I mean, by the time the the realized fantasies record came along we we were we were trying to be everybody was trying to be current you okay. know? so um the clothes got a little different the the hair got a little less layered uh you know think things changed a bit but um I don't know it was it was just a weird time we didn't we didn't enjoy making the record the only the only shows we did for that album were uh, more sold out another sold out japanese tour Mm. and a couple shows in europe and um and then we just were all just we were we were disenchanted with the whole thing and we just kind of needed a break yeah ronnie went ronnie went and made uh a couple of records with um he put a prog band together with uh a now very well-known norwegian singer named jorn and uh that's that was called vagabond and he did three really good records with them. Um, I did uh, an acoustic album uh, on for, for Polygram, for Universal. Um, that did a, didn't do... I mean, it, was, it came out really basically in Japan. Mm. And, um, and then I just sort of like really revamped my thinking and started just really writing a lot and um, getting into other kinds of music and exploring. And little by little... Uh, we made our way back together um, in the middle, you know,
0: midnight. Yeah. So we were really only apart for a few years. And then you said two of your favorite albums from TNT: uh, 2004's "My Religion" and 2005 "All the Way to the Sun." They are not yeah. available uh, in the U.S., but hopefully soon.
1: Moment, anywhere they're not. Available oh, they're not available anywhere. <laughs> okay. Well, geez, yeah. yeah. At so, the
0: But you're At hoping the they'll be available soon.
1: Yeah, the label that put them out. To, uh, My Religion was was probably the most successful. Album sales-wise and chart-wise, that we had um, in a very long time at the at the time it came out, and um, you know we, we, but but unfortunately, the label that put it out in Europe went bankrupt. So um, so so it's not hard for us to put it all back together and get it, you know, get it released again. Mm -hmm. We just have to do it.
0: Okay, so new uh, releases from TNT, I mean, new old releases from TNT. Will there ever be? Uh, a current new uh, release from TNT, or or any shows, and because you've kind of been on again, off again with the band. So I mean, maybe there's nothing planned, but never say never. Or yeah,
1: um, I you know, Ronnie and I, um, contrary to popular belief, we we talk often, and right. uh, sometimes we just top on. Uh he loves FaceTime. Ronnie's not a big technology guy, but he he like really loves FaceTime video. Hmm. And it's kind of annoying because I love him. But he'll call me at like, you know, early in the morning because he's in overseas, you know. So oh. he'll call me early in the morning here and I have to like the video chat and I'm like in bed, you know. But um, but I love the guy and and we have a great, you know, we're gonna be whatever happens, I, like we'll be on a beach someplace, you know, when we're in our seventies, you know, laughing and hanging out. So um That's great. And mo- most of most of the things that that pushed us apart, uh, again, contrary to popular belief, are are business related. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, what we're what yeah, I mean I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. So never say never is a good way to put it. And um, you know, there might be uh there might be a time and a place.
0: Sure. Absolutely. So besides, uh, TNT that you've done, I can't believe this is amazing how much other music and projects you have done. But one of the big ones was the Sonic, the hedgehog stuff. That's gotta be, is that not like the most lucrative gig that you can get recording music right now or no,
1: it's not lucrative. It's not because I, I, I did it. I did it as a buyout and it it haunts me all the time because for some reason, the way Spotify works, um yeah. most of the TNT stuff, all the TNT stuff, and most of the music I've I've recorded, my name is not connected to it. So on my personal Spotify, I just have a few random singles that I put out myself. Mm-hmm. The Starbreaker stuff, maybe, and um, and this Sonic thing. And so I I have this crazy insane. Number of streams and fans every month that has millions, no relation, no relationship whatsoever to my sort of success with TNT, you know. Uh, and, and it's all Sonic.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Well, those songs <laughs> are so really, catchy. Really, now, you didn't write those, did you?
1: I did not. Yeah. I, did not. I was hired um, initially, I think it was around 2000 or 2001 when I initially went in the studio to do that. And I did, I believe, three songs that first session. And then I did another round uh, several years later, both with with Ted Poley. Ted Poley, yeah. Who I believe wrote or co-wrote those. Okay. So, yeah, looking at them now, I sort of see these crazy stream numbers and, you know, all the success. And I just kind of go, you know, I should have made a better deal. But I honestly, I, I've never been into video games. I don't know anything about them. Um, to me, it just it feels like something more to get something else to get addicted to uh, to, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to keep me in a dark room for many yeah. hours. And with these phones we have these days, that's the last thing I need. Sure.
0: So so, so something totally different from TNT or the Sonic stuff was this uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier with the, the project we had with Bumblefoot. It's Tony Harnell and the Wildflowers featuring Bumblefoot. This is like yeah. really cool acoustic Zeppelin sounding folk rock. How would you describe yeah. it?
1: No, that's pretty good. Um, I think it had kind of a modern at the time, modern because it was, it came out in 2013. Yeah. We were actually recording it and we were close to being done with it. And I went to NAMM in, um, I guess it was early 2012 and I met, ron and uh he actually had met him for the second time because um he reminded me or or i don't remember which way it went but he was a big tnt fan and he reminded me that he actually auditioned for a solo band i was going to put together in the early 90s after tnt had a break and um, and he didn't make the cut nobody did i ended up not putting a band together at okay so um but you know he was amazing and uh so fast forward we run into each other at nam and we we hit it off and we started to talk a lot and get together and uh i was working on this acoustic thing and i just said you know this thing's mostly done but why don't we write a song together and then maybe i'll just send you all the tracks and you can just put some some nice guitar across the whole the whole thing so he said sure and, um, we wrote a song called, uh, burning daylight, which is, uh, there's a video for it on, uh, on my official, um, YouTube channel. And, um, it, it just turned out great. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the favorite, one of my favorite projects for sure. It was a, a, a crowdfunded, um, oh, okay. project. The only one I've ever done. It was super successful and a lot of fun to do. Yeah. But I was going to say, is that
0: more of that? Yeah. Is that, that's gotta be really refreshing as an artist to be able to do something totally different. Cause you probably get burned out on doing all TNT. I mean, it's nice to have a little something totally different. That's gotta be really uh, energizing. I would think to to do something that sounds totally different.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get really bored. Um, you know, I, I, here, here's what it is for me. I don't listen to the TNT albums um, unless I'm preparing to play them live. And, uh, um, you know, like any artist I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it, you know, and, and there's this huge, uh, pressure when I go out live to like sing like the record, you know, even though I'm 58 years old and, uh, is it harder so, to sing
0: that way now? Well, it takes
1: more, um, rev up time, you know, so okay. it takes more, you know, I, I'm also a vocal coach, so that's been a passion of mine for many years. And, uh, uh, so, so it it just takes more, you know, cause the, you the, the, the bot
0: yeah, aren't you recognized as one of the few people that has a, a four octane? Uh, what is it? Or four so octane octave, octave voice? Octane, yeah. That would be cool. Four octave <laughs> voice, octane. which is like it's really rare or something, right? I don't know a lot about, but well, I just know you have a very amazing range, and you, I'm assuming you still have most of that, right? Because you... St-
1: yeah, yeah. It just it just takes more time for me to rev up to what I need to do to uh, to, to you know to do the TNT stuff. But what I was going to say was, when I get on stage regardless of how I feel about the, you know, about the music, when I see people in the audience smiling and reacting to the songs like just when they hear the opening riff, then I just, you know, then it feels amazing. Yeah. That we did. And then I, I just like look over at Ronnie and I go, look what we did. Look what we look what we uh what 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 we accomplished, you know, all yeah. these years ago.
0: So. That's amazing. Um another project you did, uh Starbreaker, this is uh, I listened to uh, so there was an album in 2008 called, I think it was Love's D- Dying Wish. The most popular song yeah. was on Spotify, according to it. It, was, uh, it says, Bu- a Building a Wall. And it's got this piano intro that's just beautiful. And then it gets really heavy. And that's really cool. And then the the uh, Dysphoria album, that's one of the coolest album covers I've ever seen. It's got this star <laughs> with a rose on fire. And uh, you said it was very... uh personal songs for you the lyrics are really heavy like you wrote about what you were going through what were you going through at the time that was so heavy well
1: i can't get into a lot of detail about it but it was um it was a very um it's so funny because having a little having a couple of years since i put that out my view of the record the lyrics and the whole thing is very different than it was at the time Um, Let's just say that I don't feel that I was uh, writing from a from from a completely honest place when I wrote that record. Hmm. But but I think I was well emotionally I was okay. But, um, but mentally, I I think that I was uh, you know just in such a strange frame of mind. First of all, I I was very newly sober. Mm-hmm. I have over three years of sobriety now. But congrats on that, nervous. by the way. Thank, thank you. But I was just freshly in recovery, and I had this record to do. Thank God I did because it really helped me, sort of, you know, have something uh, you know important to do. Uh, and uh, so I was basically, you know, just you know focused on my recovery and making that record. Um, but yeah, I, I came out of a really um, difficult and life altering relationship, um, that, uh, you know, yeah. And so, so that the lyrics there were, um, somewhat reflective of the, of the recovery Mm. blended in, blended in with, with the relationship and some other things, but there's just a lot of stuff on there that is, um, just, uh, you know, if I had, let's put it this way, if I was going to write about that a lot of those things today, the approach <laughs> and the, uh, energy would be very different.
0: Yeah. So is that kind of how you feel like the love killer stuff? That's another, it has like kind of piano stuff, like set me free. It, that almost sounds almost like kind of like religious or gospel, but it's kind of a sad, but also uplifting. And I don't yeah. mean that is, it just seems very spiritual. Like, is that another kind of emotional, uh, written, uh, uh band know- stuff?
1: You know, I made I made a couple, and this is this is probably a very unpopular thing to to say, but I made I made a couple of records in twenty nineteen, um, you know, for the for the wrong reasons, and and well, for the right reasons and the wrong reasons. I mean, this is what we do. I'm a recording artist, mm-hmm. so I make record I make records, and and that's part of my income. You know, sure. And, uh, but um, that record in particular um, was something that. Uh, you know i i i kind of got um i guess talked into it <laughs> and okay i think there are some good tracks on it i did not write most of that material and i feel like it what it was was it was writers um and they're all really talented all of them everybody involved in love killers was was extremely talented especially uh, alessandro uh, del vecchio the producer great great guy super talented guy um but the the record label sort of um wrestled me into this uh kind of you know we want to we envision you making a certain record and Mm. um we love your songwriting but we want to try something different and i i just want i you know i wanted to keep working it was important for me in recovery Mm -hmm. just to you know keep working keep making records and i thought okay you know and the song started to come in and you know i was a little disappointed It was writers trying to write TNT-ish songs, Mm. and that's just not possible, Hmm. you know? um, You know, I don't think they, I mean, I think there's some good stuff on there, and I I think that a lot of people really like that record, so I have to be a little bit um, gentle with my, (laughs) you know, critique of it. But what I learned from 2019 was that going forward, I want to make music that, is from my heart, whatever that is. Hmm. So if, if, if someday that means a TNT thing, that music for the most part has always been very honest. Yeah. When I get, when I get together and work with Ronnie, I feel like the stuff that we put out is always very on point and very honest for the time that we're in, you know, but I'm not going to be making records anymore unless I love the project, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to make records just for, just for money, or um, you know, uh, the biggest problem with the Starbreaker thing is that, um, is that Magnus doesn't tour, and I want to right. tour, yeah, and I want to I want to play live shows, and so we have three great records that I can't go out and perform live with, you know, with him, which yeah. is a shame because I think Starbreaker, and a lot of people think Starbreaker would have been a great, um, you know, European festival act, mm-hmm. and so. You know, what
0: about, okay. yeah. What about echo bats? Are you, that's the kind of a super group with, a uh, Joel, uh, Hoekstra yeah. and James Lemenza? Well, I,
1: I think that because of everybody's busy schedule, it was, it's probably safe to look at it as a one-off. Mm. Um, but it was, it was just something we started talking about a while back and, um, the, you know, the pandemic hit and we had one of the, we had that song finished it just needed to be mixed and some details and needed to be added to it. So I, I went to the guys and said, we have this track, let's just put it out and have fun, you know, for fun. And, um, and we did a fun video and, and got it out there and it got a great response. And, um, so we'll see now, you know, that, that could always continue at some point, but right okay. now, we don't have
0: plans. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, you know, you had some interesting advice. I heard you say that, I don't know if this is for music or just life in general, but live your life as you truly don't care what other people think about you. I mean, as long as you're living in an ethical way, like that's, yeah. can you ex- explain that a little bit more though? I mean, cause you kind of have well, to care if it's music, right? Cause it's, it's meant for an audience.
1: I think what I really mean is live your life. Lo- well, I mean, i uh- there's two ways of looking at it. You know, one way to look at it is live your life as though everybody's watching you. Hmm. That's a very interesting perspective, you know? So that's a, that's kind of my way of, um, you know, of feeling, um, I don't know. Uh, I think that, I think that keeps people honest when you look at it that, you know, from that yeah.
0: Well, they, um, I remember my teachers used to say like when I was a kid, like, you know, you're supposed to act like your parents are always watching you. Yeah. And that kind of messes yeah. with your head a little bit as a kid, especially it as a does. teenager.
1: Yeah. That's maybe a little strong. <laughs> <To look> like, <laughs> okay, it,
0: That
1: might be a little, that might be a little much, but, but you know, the, but the other thing that I said about living is I'd like to rephrase that and say, maybe live like each day is your last, but ethically and, you know, meaning. I guess I have found over the years um, that time can get wasted very easily. And uh, now, yes. that we have, so, now that we have social media and, you know, these damn devices that just suck so much of our time, it's easy to get to go down a rabbit hole. All of a sudden, you, you know, you're watching a, a great band on YouTube. And then, you know, two hours later, you've watched like, you know, all these bands and all these you know different things well that doesn't like, sound
0: like a waste of time i do that all the time well i know <laughs> yeah but, i know, you know what you're saying yeah yeah
1: well so, so i
0: think yeah go on sorry
1: no i just think that um i think that uh we live in a world that is filled with distractions and i just think that what the fight is for me every day is just grounding myself and keep keep bringing myself back to um to center myself and just mm-hmm. keep trying to be centered as often as I can throughout the day. Um, there just is so much going on now, so much information, so much, you know, in this pandemic. Um, I think that uh, not enough talk uh, at least in our community about mental health and how, mm. how, how, this pandemic has affected people. And for me being in recovery and, uh, having all of this go on and, and sort of, you know, relationships and how to manage all of this, um, this stuff, it's, it's easy to paint a pretty picture on social media, which I honestly don't even bother trying to do. I, I, I kind of just try to be interesting. It's not easy mm-hmm. when there's not a lot going on. If you're on tour, you just post tour stuff all the time and it's great. You sure. Know? Yeah. But I try I try to be creative with it and have fun with it, but um, but uh, you know, it's not reality. Um, and I think I think that uh it would be nice for us to have some kind of a uh I don't know, just an, a general acknowledgement of, hey, are you doing okay out there? You know, are you are you okay? Like that that's what I feel like saying sometimes to people is, is everybody all right? You know, because most people won't say it if they're not but
0: yeah i get
1: a sense i get a sense that sure some people are doing great during this pandemic some people have had you know babies and new jobs and all kinds yeah. of been very you know very creative and prolific but that's not not the picture for everybody mm-hmm. so um
0: yeah yeah so with your sobriety so you said 3 years you must have some clarity on that i've always wondered this like um and i don't know if this is different or the same for everyone in recovery but um, do, do they kind of preach or, or do they, or do you think like when you, after you go through recovery, you're like, Oh, I think everybody should, should go 100% sober. Like everybody should be that way. Or do you think some people can drink responsibly throughout their life? because well, see, there's a big misconception about
1: what sobriety actually is and what recovery is. Um, you know, there's, we have this 12 step program, right? And mm-hmm. all that really is, is it's a blueprint for how to live. And and it's not, it's not, it's not crazy. Uh it's not, it doesn't have to be religious if you're not religious. There are Mm -hmm. lots of atheists and 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 agnostics that are on in the 12-step program. You apply it how you see fit for your life. But no, what I would say is when I went started to to go to meetings, um, my uh observation was everybody could use those 12 steps. And that didn't necessarily mean that they didn't have to drink. Hmm. It meant that those 12 steps were really great tools to guide one through a really awesome life. Hmm. And um, that in many ways, people in recovery, I think, come out kind of ahead of the pack in, in certain – and I'm not talking, again, about the drinking See, surprise. Dr- not drinking is only the first little tip of the iceberg about sobriety. Mm. So, what sobriety really is is learning how to live better, to be a better person, uh, to to be honest and truthful to yourself and to others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and I think and be accountable. And that's the main reason why I chose to be public about it is I thought maybe I could help other people, and by being being public about it, it would. I'd be held accountable,
0: you know? Yeah, true. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's, and it is one day at a time. So I'm mm. not here to say I'll never do it again. Right. I can't say that, but I can yeah. say today I'm not doing it. So, yeah. You
0: know. And you're also, um, you've also gone vegan. And uh, did I say, did I hear you say gluten-free too? You eat very healthy. In fact, you were kind of like a health coach for a little while and you're really into that. Well,
1: I do, <laughs> I do have a, I got interested in um, my, when my mother, right when my mother was, was sort of, declining fast from uh, breast cancer i was diagnosed then with thyroid cancer um at the beginning of 2009 and had my surgery like march march 10th i believe and then she passed away late april and uh, god the anniversary is coming up for that and um between those two things and then in in a couple years later uh, I we the TNT lost uh, our longtime keyboard player at forty. He was only forty four, and he passed from uh, melanoma, and he went really fast and really hard. And I just thought I got to learn about more. I've always been interested in health. Um, it's always fascinated me. I've always kind of studied it, you know, in my own way. But I decided to get serious about it, and I um, I actually did a year uh, a year long course and paid a, a good amount of money for it and got certified as a health coach. So I am a certified health coach. I don't really use it. I may mm-hmm. write a book at some point, but, um, I experiment with different diets and, uh, I have been experimenting with vegan. I'm not, uh, this will probably really upset a lot of vegans out. I think it's a great way to, um, it's a great way to live. Uh, it's definitely better for the planet. No doubt about that it may not be for everybody. I'm not one of these hardcore militant vegans. It's like, you know, that's just not me. Um, I had some, I had some things, um, about being vegan that, that I didn't really like a lot. So I'm, I'm experimenting now. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm ever going to go back to eating, um, meat, but, um, but I am experimenting with, um, being more vegetarian. So like
0: eggs. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So tell me about uh, this vocal training course that you do. It's, I think it's called the Fundam- fundamentals of rock singing. And you have like, it's like a private face group, a uh, Facebook group. And you do actually like one-on-one coaching with people that teach them how to sing like you. Well, it's a lot
1: more than that. What it is is it's it's a full course
0: course, right? Yeah, uh,
1: that actually that you that you buy and you sign up for, and it sits in a in a in a beautiful platform, um, uh, and it is basically a six part course with over eighty videos that include warm ups and all sorts of different things. It, it took a long time to put it together with the help of a very very talented team. And we did it during COVID again, because it's like, I've been wanting to do it, but I wanted to do it right. And until I could do it right, I didn't want to do it. So it's actually called the rock singer society. That's, that's kind of the over overview name of it. Okay. And there's a website for that. People can go to the rock singer and they can, I'll put that in the notes. a little bit. Of, yeah. They can see a little bit about it. Um, there's a uh, button where they can book a call directly with me and I can tell them about the course and how much it is and how it works, you know, and I do do one-on-ones as well, but I will say that the course from what I've seen with all the people that are on it now, it's the most effective thing I've ever done. I'm seeing people just, you know, the growth and the uh, the things I'm, I'm watching are mind boggling,
0: you know? So with your voice yeah. in that range, that amazing range, I mean, some of that is just innate though, right? Like you're born, not everyone's born with that.
1: No, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that everybody that takes my course is going to sing like me, but I will say that they will sing better.
0: Sing better. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's it's very much based on healthy singing. Okay. Um, One of the things people say to me often is how do you, you know, you still have your voice. You know, I, sometimes if I'm, if it's a down year, I'll just put a few songs out. Uh, like I did this year, and uh and last year, just to kind of I'm here, you know even if they don't do a lot, just to kind of little nod to my fan base and mm-hmm. say, "I'm here, I can still sing, you know everything's okay, um but people always say to me, you know I, the main thing I want to do, they say to me is keep my voice when I get older and yeah. just have it, you know, and that's that's kind of um the one of the main emphasis emphasises on the course is healthy singing. And, uh, I, so I, I teach people how to keep their voice, how to use it better, how to expand their range, how to breathe properly, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I am a big Motley Crue fan. Do you think you could help Vince Neil? Cause I feel like I've seen him live and It seems like his voice is, he's struggling like, but I know he could probably do better. Like maybe he could take this course. Like, is that a crazy idea?
1: I think I could help him and he actually is, is in Nashville. So, you know. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, here's what I see. I see a lot of older singers who um, I feel could be, could be singing better than they are, Mm -hmm. but what you have to, you know, more than half, actually, the majority of what it takes to get better is not something like my course. That's just the, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the tool Okay. The thing that's actually going to make somebody better is do they want to, <laughs> you know? oh, do,
0: they, okay. do they,
1: do they, do they want to get better and do they want to work, you know, uh, a program or work with a coach or whatever the case may be. And a lot of singers, um, if they're happy where they are and they're making a lot of money as somebody like he is, um, <laughs> what's the, uh, What's the motivation? <laughs> you know? I mean, my motivation would be to be great.
0: Yeah, that's you what know? I'm saying. Cause like all the, yeah. the, there's a lot of people talking shit about Vince. And wouldn't that be awesome if he like took your course or worked with you and just came out and just kicked ass at this when the Motley crew or uh, crew tour, if it ever happens, if it does happen, like wouldn't that be cool to see? I mean, cause I heard he was like losing weight and stuff. And so I don't know. I think that'd just be another piece of the, the puzzle if he uh, really you know, got I, his voice in shape.
1: I, I don't know Vince well. Oh, but i like him uh i i had some very very brief interactions with mm. him way 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 back in yeah. time you know um but uh you know i think he'll be just fine okay you know?
0: are you yeah. did i hear the are you friends with sebastian bach are you still friends with him too or is that more just like we haven't we haven't we haven't spoken in a long
1: time mm.
0: um but that that happens in this
1: business you yeah. know i'm not the greatest with keeping and you know keeping in touch with people um and, uh, you know, I don't have a big arsenal of, uh, of famous people in my phone. You know, I have a few select people that I, that I stay in touch with because I like them. Oh. Um, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, I've met a lot of people along, you know, along the path, but, um, you know,
0: tell me Sebastian's about, Sebastian's great. Sebastian's yeah. great. Oh, yeah. I love him. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I was just going to say, if you see him, tell him I'm coming for him. Cause I, I want him on my show at some point. Um, but I love
1: t- his, uh, I love his cameo, uh, videos on yeah. his Instagram page. That's
0: just <laughs> yeah, yeah that's
1: classic stuff right there. Yeah, yeah.
0: He'd be a great guest for sure. Tell me about Tony Harnell surviving rock and roll. Is, are they making a documentary on your life? Really? I don't know. I see this. I saw this thing on IMDB. Is it, you're not a part of this. You don't know anything about it um you well, never heard I of that
1: i'll ha- now i'm gonna have to go look and see what that is i, I don't know I maybe no it's idea.
0: just yeah maybe it's a bs well, i don't know there was an
1: idea um a filmmaker and i were discussing something years ago um oh. we never really we never really
0: pursued it but hmm. uh Wow. Okay. I don't I know. You
1: were asking me a question like in general,
0: but no, no, no. I, I thought I saw yeah. this cause I was looking, you know, I always look up people like, you know, I look up your Wikipedia and then, you know, I look up to see if you've had any songs and like movies and TV and on your name, there's a thing that says Tony Harnell uh, surviving rock and roll, like coming soon. And I was like what is this? I haven't heard about this. So if you don't know about it, maybe it's just misinformation. That's very possible. Now we're going
1: to go have to look when we hang up. That's yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> for sure. So but then you were talking about maybe writing a book though, at some point, uh, maybe fiction yeah. loosely based on your life.
1: Yeah. In fact, um, I'm reading a book. If I can find it here. Um, I can't find it, but yeah, I'm actually reading a couple of books right now um, about Writing, I want to write a great. I I started writing one years ago, and I have a bunch of pages written, but I really want it to be great. So I'm kind of reading Rob Halford's book, and I'm reading a book about writing memoirs. You know, okay, and um, and some other things. Um, have you read paper. The Dirt? Yeah, it's it's but it's 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 awesome for them. Yeah, it's not really it's not really, it wouldn't be right for me, but sure. see, I want to write something that's really kind of um, since I'm not that famous, I want to write something that would interest people you know, on a broader spectrum, not just Tony hmm. and fans. You okay. I really want it to be kind of a cool story about a, a rock singer that, you know, whatever. And just kind of, and it may, it may turn out that once I finish it, I go, this is really boring.
0: <laughs> you know? That's funny. Well, hopefully, I, I look forward to it. I think it sounds really interesting. Um, well, I, I, I'd like to end each episode with a charity or a nonprofit. Is there somebody, something that uh, you like to support or tell people to donate if they have a few extra dollars lying around?
1: I would love to support Music Cares. I think they That's are an incredible organization. They have helped so many people that I know, including myself, um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so, yeah. Definitely for anybody that, uh, that knows about them, they know how great their work is. And if you don't know, go to their website and check them out.
0: I'll put that in the notes as well. So thank you so much, Tony. This has been really fun. I learned a lot about you. Thank you, Chuck. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. So much music Tony has recorded. You can listen to a lot of it on Spotify and decide for yourself what you like. Uh, I look forward to those other TNT albums being released someday and maybe seeing TNT perform in the future as well. Uh, Check the notes of this podcast for all the links we discussed. Tony's singing course, his charity, my website with all my stuff is in there as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend and make sure to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you like this one, you'll really like some of the ones I have lined up. Should be a lot of fun. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. And remember to shoot for the moon.